0: Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Varta Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have with me my friend Nirav Kanodra as well. And we will be running you through some of the news and events of the week that was. Hey Nirav, how are you? How's Singapore?
1: All good, same old.
0: (laughs) So Bangalore has been raining the past few days. I mean, pretty heavily. I think you guys would have seen some photos on Twitter and everything. Thank God I don't have to commute so we have plenty of things to cover in this weekly we'll be talking about the uh, the looming power crisis which we've been covering for a couple of weeks now talk about the unfortunate singhu lynching the country is celebrating puja and navratri uh, then uh, uh, you know prime minister modi announced uh, the formation of seven defense companies on vijay Dashmi. Uh, we also had the global hum- hunger index that came out and unfortunately India has slipped, you know, a few places on that. And in the ever unfolding Punjab politics drama, we have Sidhu back in the Congress now. And uh, finally, to round things off uh, on sports, we have the IPL finals and also Rahul Dravid taking over as India coach. Plenty of news and uh, events to cover. So let's get started. And uh, as usual, we'll talk about uh, the couple of episodes we put out last week. So Nirav, what do you think about the uh, episode on Punjab politics as always? I mean, Rohit is fairly comprehensive with these things. What do you think?
1: So I think Rohit, obviously uh, one is he's like super comprehensive and he shed lights on things like what goes, uh, what probably is the thought process of like after removing Amrinder, who should be the next CM? Uh, why was Siddhu not made the next PM uh, despite being the most popular person uh, with like national recognition and statewide recognition etc, right? There were like other names in the foray like Ambika, Soni and whatnot. So I think it's a very insightful episode. I think uh, we will see this uh, drama go along till the next Punjab elections. So it's interesting to see and uh, definitely let's wait and watch.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, the way Rohit is able to marry some of these facts and anecdotes with the history and the culture of the region right, uh, is just uh, phenomenal. I haven't seen anyone do that really. And uh, we also put out a premium only episode uh, on Varanasi. This is of course in the Itihasa series uh, that Vivek Hethan is uh, doing for us. And uh, this was again a very rich and comprehensive uh, insight into Varanasi itself. It's considered widely the holiest uh, place in India. Do check it out. And of course, subscribe to Bharatwarta on uh, YouTube. The first piece of news obviously is the fact that after a long and dreadful 18 months uh you know we had a pleasant change last week the cases have been i would say thereabouts uh 20 000 or so uh, india was celebrating right after a long time i feel and there was a lot of optimism in the air of course puja and navratri nirav what do you think
1: oh as in like i think uh it's a fantastic thing that uh, india is coming back the festival season has started uh, people are now uh, vaccinated in large numbers and so they can go out and celebrate It's like the symbolism also is quite nice. So like there are the two stories which go behind Navratri. So one is Ram after like 14 years of uh, exile, the nine days he fights Ravana and kills him on the 10th day, a victory of good over evil. And so it's like as if you've been fighting in COVID and then winning over uh, the disease probably, if you just say symbolically. Similarly, like Durga defeating Mysasur after nine days of fighting. And then on the 10th day, uh, Mysasur is beheaded as well. So I think it's very nice, Uh, symbolically uh, it has shown, now India is kind of moving out. We have started the festival season, it typically is like Ganesh Chaturthi onwards, now we've got this and now soon Diwali will be coming up. So it's a very nice cycle and uh, hopefully all this festive mood kick starts people's happiness as well as the economy. So, we've defeated the virus, hopefully, and uh, we've moved ahead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was great to uh, see that optimism return, you know, and touch wood, I mean, hopefully it persists uh, uh, for longer as well, uh, right? Uh, the- festive season is here. Uh, Folks, stay safe, take care. And of course, uh, get vaccinated and also, you know, celebrate the festival season. I'm really happy that, you know, I mean, all of the small businesses and uh, small entrepreneurs get a chance to like revive some of their fortunes. They've been perhaps uh, very, very badly hit in the last 18 months, right? So so that's a a positive change. In the festive week on Vijay Dashmi, Prime Minister Modi has announced the creation of seven new state-run defense companies. Uh, With an eye on making India a global brand in the defense sector, these companies will aim to serve the needs of self-reliance or Aatmanarvar in defense. The companies serve every need of an army from ammunition to explosives to army vehicles. They will also manufacture advanced weapons, troop comfort items, uh, and a variety of other things i think you know a couple of weeks back we discussed the ordnance factory board dissolution uh, abhishek had uh, you know lent a lot of good perspective on that and the ordnance factories were about 41 uh, including 11 ammunition and explosives 10 weapons and vehicles uh, about 20 for material equipment and so on and uh, in all i think there were 80000 people employed in this you know, it was, again, one of those very tough decisions politically, right? I mean, 80,000 people employed, as you can imagine. Uh, and as with the whole Air India privatization, we've seen that, you know, the government is able to marry this political will, even with a large mandate, right? Uh, along with these policy measures uh, that are, you know, difficult but necessary. Uh, and, you know, the Ordnance Factory Board itself is a relic from the past, right? I mean, it's been around forever, uh, 100, 200 years old uh, history, and it was basically used to used for all requisitions from the army, and there were a lot of criticism, as you can imagine, uh, you know, if you have a captive customer and uh, there are no contracts, it's basically, uh, uh you know, delays and inefficiencies and bureaucracies and all of that stuff. And if you pair this with how the nature of war itself has changed, right? Uh, we had uh, uh, General Mikran, for example, talking about this in one of the Baratwarta episodes as well. You know, wars are not fought in that conventional 1970s style where the army goes in and the Navy and the Air Force come in at some point, right? I mean, it's not like that. We're seeing fully integrated battle units these days. There's a huge difference between a department of a government, which was what the Ordnance Factory was, And a PSU, right now the PSU will have to compete with the likes of a Tata or a Mahindra or Bharat Forge and all the rest of them. And uh, this decade is going to become very important from a defense perspective for India, right? Uh, We've already seen uh, the UP and TN uh, defense corridors as well. And the kind of support that they've been getting from everything from water supply and power to financial incentives and so on. The seven companies that the government has announced are Munitions, India Limited, Armored. Vehicles, Nigam Limited, Advanced Weapons and Equipment, uh, India Limited, Troop Comforts Limited, Yantra Limited, India Optel and Gliders India. Uh, I think Gliders India will sort of encompass all air vehicles and drones and Things to that effect, I feel. So, this has been something that has been in the works for a very, very long time. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's glad that it's come to fruition at this point of time. And it's especially important because, you know, India is the second largest importer of arms, uh, right? If you look at the last five to 10 years, uh, I think total of 9% of global arms is imported by india and uh, this again doesn't pair with our uh, ambition and aspiration of becoming an atmanirbhar bharat right so a lot of research and innovation will go into it and and i think it will have a lot of trickle down effect as well in terms of startups or smes and other kind of- Of companies working in this defense sector, right? Uh, uh, And and to also show that the government is really serious, there's an order book of around sixty five thousand crore that has been uh, awarded, right, or announced. So yeah, I mean, this is a a much needed move. You know, hopefully, a lot of this innovation will uh, you know come to bear in the coming five to ten years. Yeah.
1: Actually, just adding a bit, I think this is a classic case of uh, from like being a government unit to a PSU. uh, This improves the productivity of the whole sector, right? It gets a little more lean. Uh, we, instead of buying a lot of things overseas, we can make domestically builds up our skill sets, generates employment. So I think it's like a positive all around and uh, yeah, uh, very much needed as well.
0: So the coal shortage that we were speaking about for a few weeks has reached its apex. Power plants all over India have been experiencing shortages as three out of four power plants possess less than a week's coal in stock which is pretty alarming. Uh, Power plants are grappling with a surge in demand from industries as India's economy is picking up after the second wave of COVID-19. Uh, power consumption has jumped 17% in just two months. Nirav, you know, this has come to a head. What do you see happening? Uh, you know, will the government step in to improve the situation? And if so, how?
1: Yeah. So already the government has done something. So one is that you had like a little bit of late monsoons, unseasonal rains. That's why some mines were shut. So that is one of the reasons. Uh, second, as you mentioned, our power consumption has gone up like to 17%, right? Uh, which is showing our manufacturing sector is picking up, our exports are picking up, which means that now going forward for our manufacturing sector, probably power is a bottleneck and that has to be recognized. Short-term fixes the government has done is they have allowed like captive coal mines, like say for example, Tata Steel has a captive coal mine. A lot of other steel and manufacturing units have one. Which they have a captive power plant. They're allowed to sell coal to other power plants. So they've done that step, That at least temporarily there's some respite. They've imported a lot of Australian coal and some from Indonesia as well. So that has happened. What is What we are seeing right now is a global energy crisis. So you're seeing natural gas production stalled in Europe, in like the North Sea, in Netherlands, in UK, after that you're seeing a power crisis in china globally all data centers are taking up a lot of energy you're seeing more electric vehicles one is how do we tackle it in the immediate run as i think the temperatures also fall across india the power demand in residential areas will reduce a bit so that is a good thing but longer term we need to look at options of generating more power probably nuclear is one of them a lot of opposition it's a very emotional topic where people just have blind opposition. Or, so I think it has to be well-managed and well-communicated. But it shows that uh, we will need a lot of power. Coal isn't dead yet because India has a lot of coal that makes allows us to be atmanirbhar. So maybe we have to use coal. We need more power plants to be set up, right? So I think all of these, uh, we need some sort of a uh, policy uh, in place. Seasonally, winter sees the demand fall off. So we see peak demand in summer and then we see peak demand at the end of monsoon where October is still very warm. So hopefully we get sorted out for this year, but for the next year onwards and going forward, uh, we need to think long term.
0: No, as I've said before, I think my sympathies with whoever is modeling the demand supply uh, at this point, right? I mean, seriously, what do you even do with these things? Hopefully that crisis uh, is averted. In an unfortunate case, India has fallen From 94 to 101 uh, on the Global Hunger Index, Uh, the report offered COVID-19 and related restrictions as the reason for the increased rate of hunger in the country. India is currently behind neighbors Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Nepal. Uh, The GHI score is calculated on four indicators, undernourishment, child wasting, child stunting, and child mortality. The report states that forces like conflict, climate change, and COVID-19 threaten to wipe out any progress that has been made uh, against hunger in recent years. I think this is a pretty interesting, Uh, you know, there have been conflicting reports and conflicting statements, uh, right? I think the government has criticized it so on. We'll get to that. But I do feel that, you know, something has to be taken seriously. Of course, I mean, nobody will flat out say that, you know, uh, there is no poverty or hunger in India. Uh, There's no despair in India. That's not true. But at the same time, I think we have to view these reports for what they are, right? Uh, And how they have been measured. If we have to actually proactively solve this crisis as well, right? uh so this uh, report has been put together by global hunger report concern worldwide and welt hunger hill life all of them are uh, you know international organizations and uh, so india was earlier 94 it slipped to 101 uh, and on the scale itself i think india is at 27.5 which uh, ranks as serious there are 31 other countries uh, of that sort and uh, as you've seen i mean uh, you know uh, sri lanka nepal pakistan even myanmar is uh, ranked better than india and uh, I think the, if you look at uh, the three parameters that they have, right, I think what we're really suffering on is the child wasting and child stunting. Wasting is basically the the corresponding weight for the particular height and stunting is the age, uh, the height for the specific uh, age, right? And uh, if you look at child mortality, for instance, we've done remarkably well, right? Uh, the, the number of... Uh, deaths under five years in India has dropped from something like 3.4 million in 1992 to around 800,000 in 2019. Right. Uh, so infant mortality has reduced as well in that same time. So if you look at, you know, wasting stunting and nourishment, right. I mean, I think we also have to look at the proper definitions of these, right. Because nourishment, what the organization uh, says is, you know, one of the things is that you need to get 1800 calories. Now, 1,800 calories, as we all know, is a sizable amount, Uh, even so, I think the traditional Indian diet, you know, lacks some of the macronutrients like proteins and fats, which again, you know, are uh, uh, key to growth, right? The government has sort of criticized this uh, uh, saying that, you know, there was a four question opinion poll that was run by Gallup on telephone uh, uh, and that's not a scientific approach, but then the the organizations have uh, basically responded saying, no, it was uh, conducted in a different manner. And what you're seeing is also an impact of COVID, right? Uh, But even so, I think if you look at welfare in India, right? I mean, we were able to get food and supplies and rations to all far corners of the country uh even during these desperate times which uh, very advanced economies like the US and Europe struggle to do so this is uh, definitely something that we should look at and something that we should uh, introspect on but at the same time i think we do we also have to like keep in mind the classic uh, case of wittgenstein ruler right where if you're using a ruler to measure the table uh, and if your ruler is not reliable you might actually be using the table to measure the ruler instead so
1: here uh, one of the things due to covid is like schools have been shut Exactly. And, uh, all government schools had the midday meal scheme. I think that was uh, quite a good thing. Uh, hopefully uh, with vaccination starting for uh, younger kids as well, uh, schools, even primary schools and like kindergarten, etc., cetera, starts uh, the midday meal goes a long way. So apart yes. from the fact that maybe the poll is flawed, maybe a rank shouldn't be 94, maybe it should be 74, et cetera. Yeah. As you mentioned, I think there are definite steps that we need to take. And just by reopening schools and uh, restarting the midday meal goes a long way in uh, ensuring that kids uh, get uh, some basic amount of nutrition.
0: Yeah, no, we did an episode uh, on Akshay Patra actually a few, uh, you know, I think Mr. Sridhar Venkat, uh, the CEO of uh, the program uh, was on the podcast and he spoke at length about all the problems that we're facing and how we're solving this last mile challenge, right? And that's a very comprehensive, very interesting outlook on this. So do have a look at it. Uh, I think on that front, you know, the way governments, various governments, not just the center, I think the state governments have cooperated is uh, something admirable uh, really, you know, because we often, you know, doubt the uh, government capacity, intent, all of those things, right? But on that one front, I think uh, people have been united and that's something uh, positive for sure. We had uh, the unfortunate case of a man being brutally lynched uh, and strung up at uh, Singhu in Haryana uh, and this was at a farmer's protest site. Uh, Nihang Sikhs, uh, who are part of the protest, claimed responsibility for the lynching on the grounds that the victim allegedly disrespected the Sikh uh, holy book. Uh, Two Nihang Sikhs uh, surrendered to the police in collection to this case. Uh, The Sikhs were persuaded to hand the accused over with the Samyukt Kisan Morcha intervening to make sure the matter didn't get out of hand police said a preliminary post-mortem had shown 37 injury injuries on Lakbir, uh, who is the, uh, you know, alleged victim, right? So Nirav, uh, you know, already tensions are kind of running high around this farm reforms and stuff. Uh, what do you see the impact of something like this? So I think
1: maybe uh, this is the moment where probably the sentiment against the farmer flips a bit. So there's a lot of background here. So one is, uh, I only after like watching this Punjab politics episode and like uh, following this farmer's protest have realized the internal caste system within the Sikhs uh, which I thought was like caste free but so Nihang Sikhs are the more like the warrior ones Jat Sikhs are the farmers and a lot of the protests are being done by the elite rich uh, uh, large plot owning uh, Sikh farmers who who are the beneficiaries of all government policies like MSP, etc. and who are cornering the market and getting a lot of subsidies. Whereas like a lot of poor farmers are usually laborers on these big farmers plots. Now this lakhveer case here is a very unfortunate one, but there's also a caste backstory that he is a Dalit who probably, so I don't know the facts, but who by touching the Guru Granth Sahib uh, desecrated it, And that's why the anger has come out and he's been uh, unfortunately killed and his hands chopped off. So what this shows is like a background of caste violence, uh, which would flip the sentiment of all the other uh, people. You are seeing that the farm laws, I personally believe they are like a big step forward. They help broad range of farmers, except the small elites who are or the money lenders and the agents who were getting bulk of the subsidies, right? So it's spreading it all around. And this might actually flip public sentiment against them. It's too soon to say. Also, you can see the rising frustration amongst the protesters that after protesting for about a year, uh, they haven't really achieved what they wanted, which was rollback of these three farm laws. It's a bit of a stalemate. It is stuck and no one is budging on either side. And when such things happen, when people are very tensed, uh, su- there's no excuse for it. But these stupid errors happen. And this can like, totally change the storyline. And uh, so it's very unfortunate. Uh, thankfully, the people who have uh, put their hands up and they've uh, kind of surrendered themselves to the police, hopefully this uh, court case gets resolved as soon as possible and the judges give the appropriate punishment but there is no real excuse for uh, uh, beheading someone. And uh, once this kind of thing happens, the public sentiment turns uh, usually on a dime. And maybe if that happens, it'll be good that these protests stop. Everybody goes back to their own business. Farmers go back to farming instead of uh, camping outside a highway. And uh, we all move ahead. Maybe if the farm laws resolution, anything has to happen, can happen uh, on a table, face to face, With the government, but this is absolutely not the way to behave. So let's see.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty unfortunate, and I agree with you, right? I think, I think the small section of farmers who are, you know, very vocal about the opposition have kind of overplayed their hand, uh, right? Uh, Actually, I mean, starting with the whole Republic Day fracas that we saw uh, up to now, right? I mean, there's simply no excuse for everything that has happened and uh, really i think you know uh, india has a lot of sentiment for farmers right jai jawan jai kisan and uh, you know i i think the way forward is for uh, the large farmers who will actually benefit from the farm laws to come forward and really make the case for why you know uh, these laws have to be brought up right and uh, uh, really overshadow this vocal minority uh, that uh, are trying to hold the government at siege and uh, it's reaching a point where this is becoming an internal security threat as well, right? I mean, uh, so I really hope that the, the the Home Minister and the government take necessary action uh, on this count. right? So after a meeting with Rahul Gandhi, Navjot Singh Sidhu has reported that he would continue as head of Punjab Congress. <laughs> so Sidhu has stated that he had withdrawn his resignation after concerns with the party had been resolved as per reports he was not happy with the appointment of the new punjab police chief and the advocate general besides some portfolio allocations to ministers after the new cabinet formation the congress now hopes that with all this drama behind the unified front of navjot singh Sidhu and charanjit singh channi would be helped would be able to help the party's chances in the upcoming assembly polls well we discussed uh, you know some of this at length uh, in the episode on punjab politics with rohit Jaraman. and uh, Siddhu is a very interesting character, right? I mean, he's the joker in the pack. Uh, Formerly, he was with the BJP, then flipped to the Congress, then, uh, you know, supposedly resigned, and now he's back, right? I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, a lot of flip flops in a very short period of time. Uh, And, uh, well, he does have some local support. He has significant local support, but there is also some resentment uh, because, I mean, he was you know earlier scene hugging uh, general bajwa uh, in pakistan right of pakistan and uh, there are two or three schools of thought on you know uh, whether rahul and priyanka were actually played by sidhu or you know sidhu was played by rahul and priyanka right and uh, uh, well, Rohit uh, seems to uh, think that, you know, I mean, uh, Rahul Gandhi basically used uh, uh, Navjot Sidhu to depose Amrinder, right? And that was a very smart ploy, but what they didn't uh, expect was for Sidhu to actually, you know, uh, not play along and resign. Uh, so it seems like, you know, that has been sorted out. Uh, and in all of this, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to gain for the other parties who are uh, you know, trying to, uh, come off, come off as a viable alternate, uh, to, you know, the fractured Congress or the unpopular Akalis, right. Uh, so, and this would be the, this would be ARP and BJP basically, uh, AARP has a problem of not having a, a, chief minister face at this point of time. Right. And, um, Again, Roth had a very interesting point that, you know, Punjab is a larger state. So Kejriwal is probably holding on to uh, that, uh, you know, uh, a little more closely than, than uh, otherwise. Right. So that and uh, well, BJP, although I mean, definitely not popular in the state, given everything that's happened on the farm laws and everything. Uh, while that may be the case, they may actually come up as, uh, you know, key alliance uh, partners. Right. I mean, those six or seven seats that they may potentially win will make, uh, could make a difference. So the polls are uh, supposed to be in February or March of next year. And uh, there's significant time there's five more, uh, five more months left. So we don't know if uh, this is the last of the flip flops and uh, you know how things will pan out from, from here on, but uh, yeah, one should say, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting, everything that's happening around this. And uh, this is also very, very important for the Congress to win this, right? I mean, it's the last, uh, you know, one of the last uh, standing States that they have in their control. And uh, so, yeah, a lot at stake, I would say. And finally, to round things off, uh, CSK have won the IPL again for the fourth time, beating KKR by 27 runs in the final. Uh, From 91 to no loss uh, in the 11th over, KKR slumped to 125 for eight in the 17th over in a dramatic batting collapse. Uh, KKR were reeling at the seventh spot at the end of the India leg with just two wins from seven matches. They stormed into the final, winning the eliminator against RCB uh, Bangalore, and qualifier two against table toppers Delhi Capitals. Uh, Nirav, an exciting uh, period of uh, you know T Twenty cricket comes to an end, and another begins, I suppose, with the World yeah. Cup.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, this leg of the IPL you saw uh, a lot of turnaround. I think CSK were table toppers till they and they had like a few matches they lost uh, on the trot, so. Uh, The whole second leg, I think it's a great, it was a great tournament. It was lovely to see crowds in the stadiums. So that was fantastic as well. And uh, you saw a lot of competitive matches and a lot of upsets. So instead of uh, having one favorite, which goes on and wins through and through, uh, that uh, nature of unpredictability in a short span uh, makes like T20 cricket uh, more interesting. Versus like test match cricket, though it's like the real test. Usually the better team usually wins. Here, the better team on the day wins. And uh, that kind of uncertainty uh, keeps uh, fans interested. So, this was a great tournament. Uh, it's uh, Dhoni has been there in the team uh, right since inception in 2008. So, 14 seasons. Uh, he's probably not retired yet. So, that's fantastic. Another good thing is that the T20 World Cup is also going to be held in the UAE in the same three stadiums. So, uh, All the Indian players in the squad have been better acclimatized versus only a few players from like different countries, right? Maybe it gives India an edge. So that's a fantastic thing. In like other news, though the appointment is after the World T20, uh, Rahul Dravid has been appointed as the head coach. And uh, Paras Mamre is the bowling coach. And that's also a fantastic thing. I think uh, Virat Kohli will be stepping down as a T20 captain. Uh, Ravi Shastri will be stepping down as coach. I do believe personally that uh, captaincy and coaches, uh, they have like a certain uh, period or like, not exactly shelf life, but there are like phases where one set of ideas works very well. And then sometimes you need to find different set of ideas where the game keeps evolving, opposition yeah. keeps evolving, etc. cetera. Uh, Dravid was the uh, India under 19 coach. And uh, once we were runners up and then once we were the winners, so he knows the next crop of players really well. And he and Parash Mamre were both involved in the National Cricket Academy in Bangalore. So where a lot of the budding cricketers have been training or the ones who are injured are recuperating. So I think that's a fantastic thing that they know a lot of grassroots players. India has shown in all the series previously, we've got a great bench strength. So having a coach who knows the next round quite well is always great. So that we have the best set of crop of players coming up. So. All in all, I think it's a positive. Uh, I am a Mumbai supporter. Uh, unhappy that they didn't reach uh, the playoffs, uh, but fine. Uh, CSK hey, won. You're uh, talking
0: to you're talking to an <laughs> RCB guy here. For God's <laughs> sakes, come so, on.
1: Anyway, well done, CSK. Uh, great. Uh, so good that they won. Uh, hope India does well at the World T Twenty as well.
0: Yeah, I'm always fascinated by people who can find inspiration after having achieved all of this greatness, right? I mean, really, what is there for Dhoni left to achieve, you know? Uh, the guy is 40 years old and still he's pushing himself. If you see him on the field, I mean, he's probably more alert and more enthusiastic than some of the younger ones, right? I mean, uh, it's pretty pretty insane, uh, actually. And uh, you hit the nail on the head with Gravit, right? I mean, the guy has been under 19 captain. He has... A lot of continuing context on how the team has evolved, how these players have come up. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, you know, potentially, you know, a very, very good uh, replacement for uh, Ravi Shastri. So, so yeah, I mean, exciting times ahead and uh, let's see how the t 20 World Cup uh, pans out. All right, folks. So that's a wrap from us uh, here. Uh, Before we leave, uh, we have a couple of interesting episodes. Uh, of course, I mean we've been saying that we'll put the uh, India-US relations uh, episode out for a couple of weeks, but uh, unfortunately, I mean uh, due to some scheduling conflicts, it has been uh, delayed for a fair bit now. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean we should be able to put this episode out uh, this week. And uh, you know, I, we did uh, an episode earlier, I think in February or March of uh, this year, uh, where we had looked at the Biden administration and how things will pan out. Um, you know. Um, whether it will be an Obama, Obama 3.0 or whether there will be some surprises, obviously, I mean things have uh, you know uh, uh, things have thrown up a few surprises. We'll be discussing that in further detail with uh, uh, Sunanda Ji and Shrimoyee Talukdar, uh, right? Uh, very interesting uh, people. And last week uh, we had a big one. Uh, we had a conversation with uh, Mr. Vikram Sood, who is, uh, you know, of course, uh, the foremost intelligence authority, uh, you know, in India. And uh, this was uh, part of the Velina's Talk Series, uh, which is hosted by Belina Chakarova. And, and uh, that should be out on Tuesday, and uh, will be a very, very good episode to look forward to. So stay tuned and follow us on all social media and. Uh, You know, there's a lot of interesting, exciting content coming up. Please share and subscribe. And uh, from Nirav and myself, thank you so much again for joining us. Stay safe, take care, and jai hind.